Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Welcome to Celtic State of Mind, I'm Paul John Dykes and today, once again, must be Tuesday because I'm joined by Lawrence Connolly. How are you doing Lawrence? Doing well, doing well, missing, uh, missing Celtic, you know. How do you how do you find these international breaks? I know you're not a massive fan of international football, Lawrence. Is it really just, you're watching the Celtic players, you're watching the injury updates, you're watching the illness updates. Is that How do you get through a couple of weeks without watching Celtic? You know, it's hard going, you know, what have you got to look forward to? French Eddie bagging a couple, breaking records. Good to see, yeah. Yeah, ho- hopefully that gives him a bit of confidence. It shows that he's back back on the goal trail. Hopefully it translates over to, you know, if he, if he starts a, away against Ipswich. Hopefully that does well. Covid situation, 
you know, what's happening with Iron Moy, the word is that, you know, I think they will play even though it'll break Norwegian health rules, but so hopefully they're okay. Yeah, Scotland qualified, but you know, I, I didn't see the game, I well, saw the extra time because the wee one wanted to, to go out, so I had to take her out. Yeah, yeah. McGregor, you know, decent game, Christie scores a goal. Griff, yes, off the bench, mm-hmm. uh, bravely takes the, the first penalty. I was brave, absolutely. Because uh, this is a, a chat I had with Stephen Mullen actually, you know, there's certain players who love to take the last one because they want the glory. You know what I mean? And it's a big ego thing. They want to have the glory. They want to be the guy running away to their teammates and all this. Griff went up there and done what he was there to do. And he was clinical. Yep. And, you know, in the second game, just the other night there, you know, when he had that one-on-one, that last minute chance, he didn't do much wrong with it. It was a, it was a cracking save, to be fair. Ah, yeah. It was, it was decent boy gets a fingertips to its strong hand, isn't it? And it's... I'll get Griff's done done well there. Uh, yeah, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I don't know what, what the, the Griff fitness issue is. Well, November, and we keep getting told that he's not fit to start. Well, he always gives his goals, his impact. Yeah, he's decent with his corners and his free kicks. Uh, you know, he, he gives the team impetus, doesn't he? The, the big thing for me is that there is talk of a culture change at Celtic Park. Now, the culture first time round had to be changed when Neil Lennon left. Ronnie Dyla comes in and basically says the team's not fit enough. So where are we now? Are we at a stage where we're trying to change the culture that was implemented initially by Neil Lennon? Because when Lenny's big pal Sutty is giving Griffiths a hard time, and I, I think he went over the top on that, by the way, Lawrence, in relation to look at the state of his fitness, he's overweight and all this kind of stuff. And apparently they've had words, they've had a telephone conversation about it. I thought that was completely OTT, as was the, the treatment of Moy over the mobile phone, it's got to be said. But the question that I would ask, the simple question I would ask at this moment in time, when we're nine points behind Rangers and they've got a far superior goal difference, yes, I know they've played a couple of games extra, is if you play Lee Griffiths, will he get us goals? And the answer to that question, quite simply, is yes. Now, when we're looking at the domestic game, we've got a, a new striker that we're trying to bed in in a Yeti, We've got Eduard, who has been off the boil this season. And what I'm asking today is, can the international break prove to be a pivotal turning point in Celtic season? Because I think there's some signs that it could be when you look at the performances of Duffy, McGregor, Christie and Eduard. But Eduard's not been on it this season. Yet he's still bedding in. And he's had some good games and some bad. He's had his injuries. Klamala, for me, is the fourth choice striker. But one player that you could certainly rely on to give you a goal Lawrence is Lee Griffiths. Well, you know, he had a season as a lone striker before, didn't he? And it was, was it 40 goals, 40 something goals? 40 goals on the nose, yep. Yep, yeah. <laughs> Shows you can do it, doesn't it, as a mm. lone striker? Whether, you know, we should be playing a lone striker or two, two strikers, a different argument. Do we need two sitting midfielders in Scotland? You know, we're that's, losing a big, a lot. that's a big question. You know, we're losing a lot of goals, which suggest yep. that defensively we're not sound, but. It's something we definitely need to sort out, yeah, but it could be sacrificed one of the defensive midfielders and, and get another, you know, get Lee Griffiths on, on with either a J.A. or Edward. When you're playing in Scotland, and again, people think, you know, you're out of touch, Paul, because, you know, no one plays 4-4-2 and all this kind of stuff. And there, there is a, a kind of a viewpoint whereby you never play two up front. No one plays two up front and all this kind of stuff. But when you look at the partnership that was developing between Edward and Griffiths, right up until the St Mirren game. That was the last game we were allowed to actually attend. 
And you think back to that launch, you think, right, we need to really start firing on all cylinders second half of the season. And I say it's the second half, it's not quite. But you can use the international break almost like a halfway point. And obviously things need to change in the second half. Is that a development that you would like to see? Is that something we can do against Hibs at Easter Road? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Get two strikers on the park and, you know, the formation changes during the game. You know, if, if you start four, four two or start four, you know, you've got four, one, three, two, what, whatever it is, it's going to change during the game depending on whether you've got the ball, don't have the ball, where the ball is in the park. So, you know, Lee Griffiths, as you, you touched on, he's on the park, he gets goals. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's, he seems to drive the team on, he gives them an energy. You know, he's not doing that from the bench, is he? It's... The, when when he's on the park he's got he's got an impact on the game and we need players that have impacts on the game certainly positive impacts like Lee does Uh, you know the thing you might look at the season and Lee's not played a massive part in it he's come off the bench and scored on three occasions off the top of my head important goals for Celtic the one game that I think was disappointing for him was the first half against AC Milan where he started the game Lawrence and you might look at that and say well he let us down I don't think that his appearance coincided with a the best part of the game for Celtic, which was actually in the second half for a spell. Yeah, well, AC Milan, it's the also the standard opposition you're playing against there, isn't it? We don't mm-hmm. play AC Milan every week. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't play against that quality defender. So there's got to, they will have a, had an impact on, on what Lee was doing on that on that pitch. When um, he was going away to play the international games, Lawrence, and we think he, Lee Griffiths having not played for Scotland for two years, which you know shows you the the extent of the issues that, that Lee has faced both on a fitness level and a mental uh, wellness level as well over that, over that period, it's, it's astonishing because he's now 30 years of age and you know that two years is crucial to any player's career. But I honestly think that Lee Griffiths has a massive part to play for Celtic in this second half, as I'm calling it, of the season. When you look at Edward, and I know he's 22, uh, playing for the under-21s, breaking records... The goal-scoring record he's had with France under-21s has been astonishing. But you were looking at him last night, going into that game, you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, he's not had a great season for Celtic so far. He's not even hit third gear, never mind top gear. Yet, this is maybe what clicks. It might be that familiarity around the, the, the French setup, which he's so comfortable playing in. You know, playing alongside that quality player, he's getting in amongst the goals, which obviously breeds confidence in any striker, Lawrence. You're looking at Shane Duffy at the back. You know, I was talking yesterday to Kevin Graham about his performances for the Republic of Ireland, um, criticised by Roy Keane for the the game against England. You know, it was a a meaningless friendly uh, by all accounts. And then the second game against Wales, he's played particularly well. Uh, Ireland's best player, according to Kevin. So, you're looking at maybe there's a turning point there. I hope there's a turning point there because, you know, the the chances are we're going to need a Shane Duffy in the second half of the season. In any case, regardless if we're playing two central defenders or three, you're then looking at Christie. I don't think Christie's a bad season anyway. I'm singing his praises time and time again, but bringing Griffiths back in um, as a starter, as a starter for Celtic, not just as your 20-minute impact sub, which obviously he's, he's pretty good at, I think takes a wee bit of the onus off Christie when it comes to free kicks and corners because a lot of people focus on the poor delivery from free kicks and corners from Christie and I think that takes away from his overall game. The reason he's taking them is probably the best guy in the park to take them. If his delivery is poor, you know, the other people that aren't taking them are worse. Mm-hmm. You, you know, 
Griffiths is definitely better when he's delivering and better with his free kicks. Yeah, it will take a bit of pressure off Christie. It will also take pressure off Eddie as well. I'd imagine if that if that's the partnership. Yeah, you know he certainly did last season, didn't he? Yeah, you, you know he it made space because they're, they're it's two really dangerous players they've got to worry about, isn't it? You know, and they seem to be linking up well. Whether we whether we go with the two, we'll wait and see. But I'd like to see it. Before we go into the, the comments and some of the other points we want to cover today, Lawrence, and there's loads of comments coming through, so thank you everybody for joining us on Facebook, Twitter, um, and also on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube, and I keep saying this, make sure that you do subscribe to the channel. The channel is 100% free. Everything we do is free. Um, we broadcast daily, numerous times daily. On a match day, sometimes five times. Uh, we recorded five broadcasts yesterday, Lawrence, um, not all Celtic related, but most of our content certainly is. There's different channels you can choose from, different playlists. So thanks for uh, making those comments and continue to do so because we'll work through them uh, as soon as we possibly can. But if you look ahead to the game at the weekend against Hibs Lawrence, Easter Road, um, we actually had a, a Hibs legend in earlier on today on one of the other shows. You've seen him on, the, on your way in, uh, Mickey Weir. And you'll remember Mickey Weir from the 80s and 90s as a, a tricky winger. Uh, always seemed to cause problems. He was always potentially going to cause you problems. Um, a lovely guy, Mickey. And I thought this season that Hibs really would be pushing Rangers. I actually did for second place. I certainly thought they would be the third club. They would certainly be taking that mantle from the likes of Aberdeen and Motherwell, who we've seen finishing third over the piece. And I thought Hibs would be up there. They started off well. They bought well. Uh, mainly domestic-based uh, players, but they did buy well. And I rate Jack Cross and John Potter as a managerial team. They've gone off the boil a wee bit. They need a result. Lenny certainly needs a result. But Easter Road's not been a happy hunting ground for some time for Celtic, certainly in the league. How do you see this one going? I think it's, it's going to be tight. I mean, Hibs just beat Dundee, didn't they? The League Cup. Yeah, 4-1. Yeah. yeah, so that's going to give them a bit of confidence. Getting into playing is, you know, I, th- I think we were we've been stuttering towards the break. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the win ratio is still phenomenal that, that, that we've got, but it's just the football has not been the free flowing that we'd expect. And it's coincided with some poor European results as well, isn't yep. it? Yep. Uh, at the back, we've been weak. You know, you're looking at young boy Nisbet certainly knows where the goal is, doesn't he? Mm. Uh, it looks like a quick player. Strong. Yeah. Strong player. Who are we going to fit? You know, and goals I'd like to see back because he. You know, it's five million pound keeper. It's we need to see what what he's like as a keeper. I, I don't think he's had enough run uh, to show us. I think we'll stick with Ford at the back. I think Lenny's going to stick with that. Uh, obviously, Diego at left back. I think he'll keep with Frimpong at right back, and that gives you you know the two centre half positions up for grabs. Hopefully, well, well, Frimpong he'll be out with that injury, will he not? Where he was scathed against Motherwell. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to keep him out for. Uh, you know, it's bruising, isn't it? Uh, uh, and maybe, actually, he, he could be doing with a rest because he's played a lot of games and he takes a lot of fouls. Um, probably the most fouled player in the Celtic squad. Um, again, he's a type of player, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't thank you for, for a rest. But yesterday, for example, we were talking about maybe reverting to more defensive-minded fullbacks um, and pushing Laxalt further up. Uh, I think they've got a casual if you push Diego further up. And, you know, I like Taylor, but I think Laxell's, you know, head and shoulders above, above him as a, as a left-back or a left-wing-back. So, 
I think you'd lose further forward. You know, Moyes just hit the goal trail. Mm. So it's Moyes that, that you're then talking about sacrificing. Again, so Moyes Moy's going to definitely be available. Him and Ayer, that was the news this morning, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's you know, they should be available. Uh, that's the headline I've seen. I don't know if the Scottish, uh, what is it, Scottish Football Joint Response Group has, has definitely confirmed that. Mm. We we'll wait, wait and see. There's been some strange decisions. We need to make sure that the players are not going to be jailed because we were talking about jail time earlier on this week, weren't they, we, in Norway? Well, yeah, well, you know, it's about you know they get released from Norway to come here and self isolate if they follow the Norway region rules, and now they're not following them. But I think there's other clubs going to be fighting that that are affected that have got Norwegian internationalists that may have more sway than Celtic on it. Yeah, you know. See, this is a big thing, Lawrence. You know, in the past, you've made your feelings known and they're your own personal feelings in relation to international football. Um, you've been criticised for it. I've been criticised for it as well, even though I'm delighted Scotland qualified, absolutely delighted that they qualified. Um, however, I think this international break and the last one's brought more problems than anything. And although you're delighted that Scotland have qualified, that's tempered by the fact that you know, we've lost players to illness. It's, it's been an absolute shambolic set of circumstances created um, for f- from authorities out with Celtic Park. So Norway are scrambling to get their players that wouldn't be in the first team just now to complete a fixture. Mm-hmm. So what value does that give the fixture? If you know what I mean, they've got, oh, right, you can't play your first team because COVID, just throw anyone in. It's, yeah, it should international, especially friendlies or international football, been going ahead when... You're forcing players to mix out. Absolutely not. Absolutely uh, not. For me, you know, I'd rather it been cancelled. But uh, I think we're quite glad of this break in terms of a bit of time to regroup. Uh, well, you know, it's going to come. Test will be against Hibs, see if we can carry on. Again, Smotherwell will give away a lot of chances. It's still a good win, but we gave away a lot of chances. We know that we need to tighten up at the back. Can we get a settled defence, I suppose? But we're sitting in a settled defence that starts playing well. Uh, I mean... Defence as in the keeper, the four defenders, it looks like going to be in a defensive midfielder or mm-hmm. midf- midfielders in front of them. That, that's the three key, key areas. If we can manage to assemble the correct personnel, because they're there, the players are there, Lawrence. Yep. And I know that we've, we've suffered pretty badly this season through injury and also we, we continue to suffer through injury and illness. Uh, you know, Neil Lennon said before the international break, Julian will be back after the international break. There's no way after a serious back injury that you're going to throw somebody right into a game, like this game against Hibs. I wouldn't have thought. Yeah. Yeah, Lenny's saying he's going to be back. Is he going to start on the bench? Who's your centre-half's going to be higher if he's fit? Or, sorry, clear to play? Yeah. I would, I mean, Ayer and Beaton, obviously, they've married up. Duffy was rested. Stroke. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. 
our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Dropped. Uh, you know, Lenny didn't want to call it dropped because obviously a big part of the issue with Duffy at the moment is this, this confidence, this lack of confidence. He yeah. seems bereft. Um, of confidence to the point where he's not doing the simple things that a defender needs to do as part of his fundamental task and role as a centre half. He's not doing it. Um, and this is the point I was trying to make. You know, he goes out there, let's say he plays well against England, plays well against Wales, and he comes back fully confident. He's got a third game to play. Um, tomorrow night, I think, they're playing. So he, get, he gets, and then, by the way, the Republic Island team are, are hardly firing on all cylinders, you know. Um, I think it's like seven games with it, a win under Stephen Kenny. So he's, he's, he's had a good game. He comes back fully confident. Do you put him back in? I think the time comes where we say, Barkas, you're our number one. Shane Duffy, you're the centre half. And then you sort out the two deep lying midfielders. That's an issue for Celtic also. Um, are we utilising Callum McGregor well enough? Um, you know, is Scott Brown's performances actually suffering from playing there also? So these are three key areas that, you know, we need to get right on on the weekend against Hibs because there are no mugs. And I know the last couple of games um, in the league, they've not been great. But you're looking at the other fixtures because we've got to do it now. We're looking at other fixtures. You're looking at Rangers playing Aberdeen. Yesterday, I got a few comments saying, you know, Rangers will trounce Aberdeen. You never know. Because you know, that's one of the games that you would expect over a season Aberdeen to take something from Rangers. Yeah, Aberdeen's a decent team. They're going to be one of the nearest. You know, they're going to be top top six, aren't they? Maybe top, you know, maybe the third force again. So, uh, yeah, it's someone that's capable of ta- taking points. Whether or not they will, it's going to be a different matter. But, yeah, you could see, you know, it wouldn't be a complete shock if Aberdeen took some, you know, shared the points or even get a win. It wouldn't be a complete shock. I think we kind of need to focus on getting the three points and getting, a, as you say, that kind of diamond between the keeper, the centre-halves and the defensive mids really sorted out yeah. to working right. Because it's not been working right all season, as far as I can see. You know, patches went, oh, that, that's starting to look good. They, they know where they should, should be. They're performing as a unit, but not often enough and not consistently enough, which, you know, the firepower we have got, we're generally going to have the firepower to win games. Yeah. But... Sometimes when you don't play well, if you leak a goal at the back or leak two, you know, you're dropping either three or two points. You're looking at the, and I've said this before, any team, and certainly domestically, Lawrence, looking at a side where you've got Frimpong coming down the right, Laxalt down the left, you've then got that bank of Christy, Elianusi and Rogic, and then up front, take your pick, Eduard, Ayeti, Griffiths. That there, that, that's going to be any team in Scotland on its day. You know, as a forward line, but behind that, that's where the issue has been. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you've got another five players to sort out there. The fact that we don't seem to know what the best combination is is a bit of a concern, and it's time, obviously, to get that sorted. And it needs to get sorted this weekend. I mean, a lot of it has been enforced by injury and COVID mm. and stuff. Part of that's going to have had an effect of who we can play. I mean, 
good mention to young Welsh. He came in. I don't think he let us down, you know. And obviously he started as, we don't have a reserve team, but, you know, he was listed as a reserve team, not as part of the first team squad. He's come in and done well, you know. I was impressed with him. Yeah, we, we, we need to get settled. But we're looking to go over these injuries, I think. I don't think there's been a team world football that's had as many COVID-related incidents as we sell so far. Players denied to them. We've had a lot of injuries in that part of the park as well, so hopefully we've had our shares, you know, th- these things even themselves out over the season. Hopefully we're, we're kind of putting in... Just like the refereeing decisions. I will... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> another subject yeah, entirely. We'll, we'll look at uh, Frimpong. There's been at least two red card tackles on in this season that haven't resulted in red cards or reviews by the compliance officer and you're kind of going, well, where are they here? Uh, but then again, there's another compliance officer uh, on our way. So that's the third one. Resol- Resolution 12 still isn't dealt with. It's still parked uh, the SFA, who have said they don't have jurisdiction over it. It needs to be the court arbitration in, in Sweden. And I, I think the Resolution 12 is now Resolution 11, going back in front of the Celtic AGM. December the 14th, is it? Yep, December 14th mm. online. Uh, I believe the, the Celtic board's recommending to vote against that. Mm-hmm. The, the, the kind of bigger thing is, did the SFA seriously not have jurisdiction over a member club? Is that the only member club that they don't have jurisdiction over? Is it only on this particular issue? You know, I, I think it's, you know, there's obviously a different set of rules for that club compared to ever, every other club by the looks of it. That can't be right. The the thing that concerns me, um, I mean, there's obviously a group of very dedicated people, Lawrence, who are keeping, the, keeping this thing burning, keeping this thing alive, um, and all credit to them. Incidentally, because so many times you've you've heard over the years of fights that you know they end up just dying out, Lawrence. You know because it does take a lot of time, effort, and money. Because there's been a lot of money um, that that's been required through the the legal channels to to keep this thing alive. And these are simply Celtic people with Celtic's best interests at heart, and that that can't be overlooked. Um, you know, it's not about one-upmanship; it's about doing the right thing. You know, it's not as though they're on this crusade and it's a mad, paranoid crusade and they're they're in the wrong. What what the the, the rest twelve guys, maybe they'll be renamed Res Eleven guys, yep. have done, um, you know, is the right thing, and they're actually doing it on behalf of the wider fan base, shareholders, other member clubs. It, you know, it came out in open court through the think Craig White trial that mm-hmm. yeah, there was definitely an overdue payable, and the Rangers knew about that. So we've got now the, who was on the licence committee, Campbell Ogilvie, Andrew Dixon, and then Rob Petrie, who's the head of the SFA, mm-hmm. somehow managed to still grant a European licence to Rangers, which would appear on it against the rules for getting a European licence. So if they were making those kinds of decisions, then were they looking the other way? Did they genuinely get blindsided by Rangers? You know the tax case was out there, it was a bit of an open secret, wasn't it? What decisions are they going to be called to make on in the future and how can we rely on any kind of impartiality from them? There's just a, a huge sense uh, amongst a great number of people, Lawrence, that uh, there's too many people in power wanting this just to go away. And the people in power with that influence will will do whatever they can to make it go away because they don't want you know the nuts and bolts of it to become public knowledge because obviously... If it does, then a very many uh, people of power will have to come down with it. So they'll do everything in their power to ensure that it goes away. 
I mean, the, the last thing that this uh, was when Fergus pushed the Cadetti thing, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And that took the president of SFA, I think, to SFA internal inquiries cleared of any wrongdoing. But then when it not, went to open court, the SFA couldn't provide any evidence at all to back up their, their series of events. And you're going, well, wait a minute. In your own inquiries, you can pass yourself, but you get to open court and you can't provide any evidence. The difference, I'm glad you brought it up. We're not going to labour this, Lawrence, because I know you know that it's been, it is covered in so much depth and with so much expert expertise with, with other people. And we all know who they are and they're doing, they're doing great to keep this alive. The big difference there was we had Fergus McCann, yep. right? Whereas this is a group of fans. So we don't have that spearhead yep. who is of influence and who is of the club. And that, that's the biggest frustration, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's the club that's not carried it forward. And when you read their, their statements on it, you're thinking, well, why is it not the best interest at Celtic to get what Celtics legitimately do? Why is it not in the best interest of Celtic if unba- you know, imp- impartial decisions that have you know adversely affected the club? They've affected the fans. They've affected the club. Aren't called in, into question. Now, you, you can't go back and change that you know, and play that European season again. But... You could at least call it out and make sure that checks and balances are put in place that it doesn't happen in the future. Well, that's what, you know, for me, though, when, when a club um, is saying it's not in the best interest, uh, there's not an appetite for the high echelons to entertain this in any way, shape or form. And that's clear. That That's disappointing to the wider fan base, but also this this core group who have, who have kept the fight alive. And, you know, we'll, we'll discuss it with updates as the updates happen. Lawrence, uh, without a doubt, what I don't want is for people to say, oh, they're, they're going to lose the league this season, so they're going to focus on something completely different. It's not about that. Th- this is this is relevant. And obviously, as it progresses, we'll discuss it as as a point on a, the Axon Bulletin. Of course we will. You know, it's been running for a number of years now, hasn't it? It's, it's not like it's just a talking point. It's mm. been going on forever. I mean, it's the third compliance officer that's now said, job's not for me. No. And is that because these are, you know, serious legal professionals that are maybe looked at it and thought, I'm losing any kind of professional credibility I've got. I'm not Stone putting my name to that, shit. yeah. Is, is that why they're walking out on it? There's talk that they might now change the job. I've seen the English compl- compliance officer saying, oh, what you need is an ex-police officer to do that job. Who knows? But, do you know but, any? <laughs> I know, not a few. But uh, talking about leagues, uh, so Celtic have pulled out the Atlantic League. They've told the, the Atlantic League that, no, no thanks, we are not interested in it. Looks that Desmond's either interested in the stats quo or a British league. He's maybe looking at the situation prior to COVID against the situation coming out of this. And, um, you know, I, I do remember a previous interview we did uh, with a financial advisor stroke expert who said all bets are off. So everything you believe to be true before COVID is going to be a different set of rules after it because, yeah, there was no way Celtic could play in the English League, for example, beforehand, because, you know, there's stipulations and regulations that would prevent that. After COVID, once they look at the whole landscape of the game, north and south of the border, who knows what might be the case. I find it interesting when you came in and you were speaking about that this morning, because I was on another broadcast this morning, Lawrence, so I haven't had my usual time to digest um, some of the, the news and uh, do some research on it. But I've always liked the idea of a... Or, you know, I think it was called, was it the G9, where there was nine countries back in the time of Alan McDonald, yep. nine countries who wanted to play a league. Um, and it was a great idea because it was relegation and promotion. So, for example, if Celtic finished bottom of the league and got relegated, they got relegated back into the Scottish League. 
and it allowed another Scottish team to go into the Transatlantic League. Well, there was a back in eighteen nineties, nineteen zeros. I don't know what would you call that. That, that, that first decade of a, a century. But Celtic were in talks about a European League then, and it, the only thing that scuppered it was the travel mm-hmm. times that were going to be taken. So it's something Celtic have always had an eye on. But I think if we're pure, if Celtic have said no thanks to the Atlantic League, they're not cutting off that avenue without knowing that the, the possibility of something of a British League. Something else. And politically, could you see the, the UK government actually, would a, a British League suit them as a kind of counterbalance to Scottish independence? Would they say, well, look, maybe this is what we need to tie, tie it together? Would that be, you know, for a unionist government, would that be, be something that they It becomes a political play? decision. Yeah. So but you're not allowed to mix politics with football, though. Remember yeah. that. Well, Michael mm. Davitt used to, but... Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen Forbes, welcome back, Stephen. It's always a pleasure uh, to get your comments on YouTube. Following the This Is Our Story Inside Hearts BBC documentary, a similar inside look at Celtic this season would have been fascinating, especially in recent weeks. Now, Stephen, if you think about it, you know, the Celtic media team probably are at this moment in time filming something for 10 in a row. You know, I don't think it was going to be a fly on the wall documentary, but by God, that would have been... uh, box office viewing with it no Lawrence uh, they'd be amazing to actually know what's going on because you know we're guessing injuries and Covid and, and why certain players aren't playing and you know, it's not like you know Barfield you could go and watch the training and Lennox time you have to stand up in the, the, the hill and look through the, through the fence and you catch a glimpse it's yeah to, to get it's a the, bit windy the, up there aye to get kind of the inside story on it it'd, it'd be great other cliques in the team there's there seems to be suggested a during something last night, there was one sitting at different tables. You know, how many can fit at a one table? <laughs> you know, could it simply be that? You don't know, but it'd be good to get kind of under the skin of it when it get a fuller understanding. Uh, you, cliques exist in every workplace, and football is no different. And there's been down the ages players who don't get on. You know, players in some of the most successful teams, club sides in the world don't get on. And, and you know, I don't think I think what we're doing there. Um, is we're looking for any reason as to why the performances are not right on the pitch, um, and and we do overanalyze things once you know we're, we're trying to figure out why we're not as good as we were in the second half of last season. But uh, in talking to talk documentaries, I did watch the first episode. I didn't watch last night's one, so I may uh, look back on that. But um, I thought, to be honest with you, it was overhyped when I watched it. I've got to say, I, I did watch the first episode. Thought it was overhyped. I look back on. Uh, some of the football documentaries of the past that's now in vogue to make a football documentary. It never used to be like that. Uh, but some of the, the ones of the past are fantastic. And um, I would implore anyone to go on YouTube and watch Orient for a Fiver. Uh, it's a latent Orient documentary based in the kind of early to mid-90s. And it really needs to be watched at least once by everybody. It's a cracker. You're not going to get a documentary like that on a club like Celtic, put it that way. PLC would they allow it? I, I, you know, took too much at stake. But talk, actually, talk about cliques. Remember the team that stopped at ten? Apparently, that was a uh, mm-hmm. they had cliques until the the training ground incident with Tosh and Henrik. Absolutely, and that seemed to bond the team together. It was a clearing of the decks. It yeah. seems unusual, but you know, having spoken to quite a few of the players in that that squad, there was a divide, and they all admit it. And it, the Scottish players were in were in a clique, if you like, and the overseas players. Were in a clique, so you had Scandinavian players, didn't you? Quite a few yep. of them, um, and they were all clubbing together. And then at Barrafield, it basically was what they called the stiffs against the first team. So Tosh McKinley wasn't getting a game; 
He's playing for the stiffs in this bounce game. Something happens, as it always does in a football park, with two guys come together. He turns around and sticks the head and Henrik Larsson, who's obviously part of the Scandinavian clique. <laughs> yeah. um, don't know if he broke his nose. He certainly burst his nose. Yeah. Larsson had to fly back to Sweden because there had been a family bereavement. And everybody thought, that's him, Larson's gone. And at that point, he wasn't the Larson that he became, you know. Yep. He, he wasn't quite the iconic Larson that we, we now know and love. But what happened was we actually went out, because we were preparing for a Rangers game as it happens. We went out and go beat from Rangers 1-0. It was the Richard Goff game where he's given it the, yep. all that. Um, but the players do say that after that, I think Tommy Johnson was the guy that used to organise bonding sessions and they would go out and, and all this kind of stuff. So... Sometimes something happens and it clears the decks. There's been a couple of false dawns this season, Lawrence, and this is why I'm saying, you know, the international break, a couple of players coming back to form, and Robert Arbuckle on YouTube makes that point. I hope French Eddie comes back refreshed, full of confidence and ready to bang in the goal. So do I. I mean, if he comes back, that could be the spark. But as I say, we need to sort out the goalkeeper the centre-half situation. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. And that deep-line midfield situation, which I think has been key to this team's decline this season. We've got six new players in. They were more or less all first-teamers, weren't they? So it could be that it's just getting to know each other and it hopefully it's sorted out, you know. These things take time. There's been players in the past, you know, a bit of time to settle. Yeah, but it's definitely something we need to sort out, centre half and the deep line midfielder. Do we need to play two? Can we just play one and say just patrol in front of those two, don't push on at all? You know, when they did drop back and be the third man. It's because I think Kilmax is wasted, I'd rather simply playing further forward, but it's something for Lenny to sort out and, and hopefully, you know, I think he will, you know. You think he will sort it out? I think Lenny's got it and he sort it out. Barkas has to be the number one. For me, I, I think we've got to play him and we, we need to find out whether we've got to keep, keep a goalkeeper there or not. He's, uh, he's not had any howlers for us. Flip side, he's not had any huge saves for us. The, he's looked great with the ball at his feet. He moves the ball quickly, gets us off an attack quickly. You know, we've paid five million for him. If we get to January, and we, we, we need to know because if he's not a keeper, you're going to need to back up to Scotland, aren't you? It's going to be him or, or Hazard. Then, isn't it? I'd be saying that Barkas, so little games, five million quid. He's not f- first choice. We, it's it's third choice last year. Yeah. For me, then you'd be you'd be going going. Well, we need to get somebody better than Scotland. You just can't write off a four and a half to five million pound goalkeeper Lawrence you know um, the investment in the squad has been has been massive if you if you count the wages even with the loan players and the loan fees on top of that as well one of the other guys that isn't getting as many mentions at the moment is David Turnbull now obviously we brought him in as one of the most promising youth players or young players rather in Scottish football he's barely played yep uh, now is he being bought in? Because I, I looked at the six players that were brought in and I, I actually said at the time, I praised Celtic, the board, Lenny, that they had approached it differently this time. There was no projects. You know, you look back at January with Clamalla and Sorrow, we've still hardly seen Sorrow. Clamalla's obviously third, fourth choice striker. 
they were bought, brought in as projects, Lawrence. It's a hit or a miss. You might get one in four, one in five that, that actually come through and, and make an impact. I didn't think any of the six were projects, and I include Turnbull in that. I thought Turnbull was in to hit the, the ground running. We'd waited on him. He'd waited on us. And he was a first-team player. But we've not seen enough of him. Are we utilising him enough? Are we looking at Turnbull as one for next season? Um, is the poor form that we're in going to change that plan and bring him into the fold? Hopefully we're not looking at it as one for next season. Does that mean we're, you know, we're just writing off a more or less a season of mm-hmm. him developing? You know, he's, he's come back from injury. He's proven it again at Motherwell. He's proven it at SPL level. We buy him and then, we, as you say, we just don't see enough of him. Is it because Lenny's the team's struggling he wants him to put, it, put him into the team when the team's playing better? But is it easier to introduce somebody when the pressure's not going to be on him? You know, when the play, team's playing a bit better? Maybe. Uh, but definitely somebody we need to see more of. I'd have thought he, he, he was coming in as a first-teamer. Someone that, you know, if he's not starting every week, he's getting minutes from the bench every week. I hear a lot of people, and on the broadcast as well, commenting about uh, the names that crop up often... Uh, Luca, Luca Connell and, and Sorrow. I don't think, I'm sorry, but I, I don't agree. I don't think they're on the same kind of um, level as Turnbull in terms of first team opportunities. Um, I don't think that they are that close to the first team. Sorrow, I've liked what I've seen with him. We've not seen a lot, but he was definitely a project player when he came in. Uh, what's happening in training that would put him above it? Luca Connell, you know, he's, he's got first team experience with Bolton, but I don't think he's anywhere near. He's not going to replace Laxalt or, or El Yanusi, is he? No, uh, you know, it's. I don't, I don't think he's he's anywhere near the, the, the first team. Uh, Turnbull or Sorrow, obviously, you know, that they're getting bench spaces, but you'd have thought Turnbull was going to be ahead of Sorrow in the pecking order, but who knows? Uh, what positions are we going to use them in? You know, if we're going to use them, it's it's kind of hard one to, to see, you know, we're bottom, but we're not playing them. It's. You know the thing. The thing again is you've got the scenario of us going into Easter Road. It's a it's a it's a stadium that Turnbull's familiar with. I mean that that isn't like throwing them into a, a pressure filled situation. There's going to be the pressure associated with any game that you play for Celtic. But you know it's not the unknown for somebody like Turnbull. So isn't the game against Hibs a, an opportunity to to play someone like David Turnbull? He definitely knows the league and he knows the teams he's playing against. As you say, there's a pressure with Celtic, but there's an added pressure when Celtic aren't playing well and are chasing in the league rather than being at the top of the league. So is Lenny, where does he see Turnbull playing? Does he see him as a replacement for one of the defensive mids? Does he see him as an attacking mid? Where generally does he he see him fitting him in his team? I think he would be viewed more offensively, higher up the pitch. Um, There's a comment coming through, I'm going to get to it in just a moment from Red Scotland, but before I do that... um, from Facebook, Hibs, very hard game, past six games, their only manager to win was Neil Lennon, that was in the cup just after he took over. Brennan Rogers couldn't win in three games at Easter Road, two defeats and a draw. Uh, obviously, he found it hard to play against Neil Lennon, because I yep. remember Lennon getting a 2-2 draw at Celtic Park, that was the day of the Coolio gate that Tommy Sheridan speaks fondly of. Um, but just jumping forward a wee bit to uh, Red Scotland, make Ayer the holding midfielder with Duffy and Julian behind them. I've heard that being suggested quite a few times. I've also heard the same scenario, but with Beaton being that holding midfielder. I say, I mean, there's this big kind of debate around Ayer because he originated further up the park. You know, at one point he was in the midfield, he was an attacking midfielder, now he's playing centre half. 
I don't subscribe fully to the fact that we can revert him back to a midfielder. I think we've found his position. But I think the player that could benefit in there is Beaton. I think Beaton yeah. could be that holding midfielder, Lawrence. Uh, his reading the game is really good. His ball retention is brilliant. He always, just about always finds a hook jersey. Uh, he more naturally drops back to be the third man. You know, when the full-backs are pushed on, so you've got then three at the back. It's a, a bit of extra height, which is a team, you know, a, well, not at all team, is a team. But, uh, it's perhaps why we lose a, a lot of goals from set pieces. That's why we brought in Duffy. Well, brought in to Duffy, be fair, the centre halves have, have got the height, tall, you know. Yeah. So we've got two tall centre halves, three if you count beating and we play three at the back or we play him as a whole, whole midfielder. I think we talked about this before. I think uh, our team's just over six foot. Tom Rogic just over six foot. You get two, two small full backs, whether that's Diego Taylor or, or Frimpong. McGregor and Brown. You keep forgetting yeah. Ralston when you're talking about right backs. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's a reflection on uh, how close they be standing at right back. Is <laughs> I don't know, but the, the, he's only five ten or something. He's, he's not tall, is he? Yeah, then it's the same with Brown and McGregor. They're, they're mm-hmm. not particularly tall. Moy's five foot ten. Griff isn't tall. Uh, I think eight. I'm not not too sure. But French Eddie's maybe about six foot. I'm not too too sure about it. Yeah. So yeah, as a team, we're small. If you if you look back to the Martin O'Neill teams, you know they were giants compared to that, weren't they? Mm, yeah, they certainly did have the height. Um, some great points coming through. Michael Cavan, who is commenting on YouTube. Thanks for joining us, Michael. No international breaks now till next year, so all systems going for the season. Seasons we push on now. Um, I am of that mindset. I'm thinking this is a, the final kind of chance saloon to get it right now. And we need to really go hell for leather. I still look at the the squad. Will we strengthen in January? I don't. I, I won't take that as a given. I think. I think the 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 kind of view was let's get it done early. It wasn't early enough for Europe, of course. But let's get it done early. Let's get the business in. But it's just not worked out. And I don't think anyone's seen that coming when you looked at the six players we brought in. Listen, between the, uh, will we strengthen in January? I suppose it's going to depend a lot on what happens between now and January, doesn't it? You know. Where football as a whole sitting COVID related, are fans going to be anywhere near back, back to the parks? You know, obviously there's talks of two vaccines now, which would suggest that probably we'd get people into the grounds at least for next season. Uh, where we're sitting in the league is going to depend whether or not we strengthen how Barca's plays. Again, you know, if we sell anyone, and sometimes you know if bid, bids comes in and players want it away, a lot of time there's not a lot you can do as a club to to, to stop that happening. So. As we sit just now, do we need to strengthen in January? Well, I, I don't think so. We just need to, we've just we definitely got the personnel to win the league. We just need to get them playing as a team. And it, it, you know, We've got between now and, kind of, I suppose, the transfer, transfer window to prove that. That you can hopefully go on you know, and win every game, get as a fourth treble in a row, back to the top of, top of the league, and then, you know, your January. Are you really looking to strengthen then? Well, we, we will wait and see. I mean, we've been hammered by injuries. Uh, obviously, Julian's the next one to come in. I think after him, we'll probably be looking for Mikey Johnson to come back. Obviously, Frimpong, hopefully, will be back soon after the Motherwell. Um, shocker of a challenge. Forrest is out for, I think, another seven weeks. So we've, we've really been horrendously hit by injury. Uh, but the, the key for me, Lawrence, is the people coming in to replace these players, you know, should be of a, a standard that, that should still be negotiating certainly the domestic game but down to bad form of 
Duffy, the man who was meant to come in and yeah. shore everything up, um, and various others. You know, Edward being the case in point, we've not been able to to get that momentum going. I think it would be great. It would be great to see Neil Lennon with a full complement of players. Um, and how he shapes that, because then there's no excuses. We can't blame it on illness. Yep. We can't blame. It. And let's see if we can we can start to manufacture and engineer a run that you know we we all know every game now uh, after this international break is like a cup final, and we obviously have the cup final to look forward to in December. So between now and then, that would be your short term kind of focus. You're, you're winning your games to get the momentum, and the players will want to be playing in the cup final ones. Oh, definitely. You know, fourth treble. Uh, that, that that's got to be you know will any club in any world anywhere in the world ever match match that if we do it four domestic clean clean sweeps in a row doubt it but you talk about the players coming in but we, we really don't have anyone in a Jamesy Forrest's caliber that came in you could you could say you know we've got centre backs that could come in to replace you and Jamesy Forrest has been a, a huge huge miss for us uh, and but, you know his goals his assists the outball to him. You know, he carries a ball well up the park. He just his experience as a winner. He's probably been the biggest miss, I would say, out the injuries. Uh, you know, he's, he has been huge, and and then you see obviously a lot of people who criticise James e. Forrest when he's playing, um, and they might realise just how how big a player, how important he is. Um, there's there's a few comments coming in in relation to obviously McGregor and and Christie have performed very well for Scotland, but it was something I was thinking about yesterday actually because. The game against Israel now is, is an important game for Scotland. Uh, Robert Arbuckle is saying that he hopes Calmack and Christie are only on the bench tomorrow. Three games in a week is too much, especially with all the travelling. I would have expected Christie and McGregor to have sat out the last game and played against Israel. Um, do you think Clark is going to be doing Celtic any favours tomorrow night? No, I, I think Stevie Clark's got, got a job and a duty to kind of look after Scotland as best as he, he can. And I, I think he's professional anywhere he's been. So I don't think he would ever keep an eye on, you know, he's a big Celtic man, but I don't think he would leave them on the bench just to do Celtic a favour. He'll be doing what's best for him and his Scotland squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, whether that's playing them or not... Well, he would I, need I to play know. the pair of them then. You know, well, well he, he may see the game against Israel as a... I, I don't even know what it's for, mate, to be honest. But, you know, he may even say that as, you know, well, it's a chance to, to try out something new. We might see Griff get, you know, a full game. I don't know, but I don't think he'll be having an eye on doing any favours for Celtic, though. No. I think he'll be doing what's best for him in Scotland squad. Ryan Christie. Now, there's a player that uh, I have championed as often as possible on this podcast. Um, I, I, I get a bit of stick from Colin, actually, for that, because Colin can be critically Ryan, as can a lot of Celtic fans. Uh, but I do think he is key to any success we have this season. He's obviously elevated uh, his profile you know, after his performance against uh, Serbia, and obviously the, the interview afterwards probably added to that. That was his fifteenth cap um, against. He won his fifteenth cap rather against Slovakia. One hundred and twelve games for Celtic. He's now played thirty six goals, thirty four assists. So you know he's he's been involved in over. He's been involved in in uh, seventy goals in one hundred and twelve games. Uh, I think that shows you the impact, the creativity, the the style, and the type of player that he is. Interestingly, for me, domestically, we've not lost a game this season with Ryan Christie and the team. Last season, in all competitions, we lost just three. I know we don't lose many games, um, but I think it's key. I think Ryan Christie is key, and you know, I would hope selfishly that he's not playing tomorrow night because I want 
Ryan Christie to be firing on all cylinders for Celtic against Hibs at the weekend. You talked about culture change earlier. One of the things Lenny said when he comes in, he wants players to be taking shots earlier, taking more chances, mm-hmm. rather than the kind of the Brendan ball of, you know, we recycle the ball, recycle the ball. Just the horseshoe continually, yeah. yeah. Christie's a boy that seems to be following Lenny's instruction. He's getting the shots off earlier. He's playing the riskier passes. Is that part of the reason he's getting such good stats? Yeah. Uh, he seems definitely bought into that culture change, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, you want Ryan on the form, he's on to play every game for Celtic, don't you? Uh, you can't blame, and this is a big thing again, you know, and it's something that I spoke to, just continually name dropping, but you speak to players that played alongside uh, Lou McCarry and uh, Davy Hay for Celtic, eventually Kenny Dalglish came into the same category. There is always... There is always that question. If you're doing well for Celtic, will you go down down south? Now, we've seen it, as I just said there, we've seen it in the 70s. We've seen it in the 60s. We've seen it with Paddy Crerand. Yep. Before that, we've seen it with Bobby Collins and Billy Fernie. You go into the 1980s, and it's Charlie Nicholas, it's Brian McClear, and it, it goes on and on. It's always been there. You know, the, There's always been that. Even with some of the players that didn't come through our own ranks, the likes of Van Hoydonk wanted to move to England. De Canio wanted to go down there. Um Collins ended up down there via Monaco. It's always been there, and it's something we're always going to have to combat. But Ryan Christie must be looking at the likes of Tierney and Armstrong, who obviously he's, he's friendly with, and he must be thinking, "I want a bit of that." As a club, that's part of the thing we sell to players. So if we're selling it to non-UK players, obviously the UK players here must be going, "Well, I would quite like that." You know, some cases, you know, it'd be four or five times your money. Christie obviously had to come off a social media after the stick he got after that Livy game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe he's not, you know, fully enjoying it. Maybe, maybe he just, just does genuinely fancy playing in the EPL. Uh, if he does, you know, he's what, 18 months or so left in his contract. You, If he doesn't sign a new contract, we, we know that the board are kind of fiscally prudent and would probably be looking to move him on in the summer then. Yeah. Uh, if he's, even if he signs a new contract, he, he may still move on. It's no guarantee he's going to stay here long term. So maybe that's where, where Ryan does see his future. He's seeing Sure Armstrong now doing well with high flying Southampton, Tierney turning it on with Arsenal, and maybe he's thinking, yeah, I could do that. He's maybe also looking at. You're mingling John with McGinn. Armstrong, you're mingling with yeah. McGinn, you know, you're right. And you're also you're playing alongside players who are down south on vastly higher wages than you that aren't a patch on you I'm not going to name them I'm not going to be critical of them but there are players in yep. that Scotland squad Lawrence playing down south that you know they couldn't lace Ryan Christie's boots yeah and they'll, they'll definitely uh, definitely be in a lot more than them I, I think uh, Charlie Christie talked about he was watching a game with Ryan at Celtic Park because it was a Barcelona game I was saying to Ryan that's the standard you need to aim for and maybe that's what, what Ryan's got in mind the standard he wants to get to and, and he sees Part of that is moving, up, moving on from Celtic, I don't know. But, you know, it wouldn't be a surprise if it was. You know, he's not he's not signed his new contract. It's been there for a while. What negotiations are going on? We're not going to be able to offer as much money even as... I mean, I thought even the Championship now, uh, I think that's kind of where it's got to, isn't it? Not well, it has. I mean, you, you even look at some of the signing targets that, that we are interested in. You can see it just in the last window, Ivan Tony. You know, and you, you look at the what you're up against if you're trying to put a package together for a player like that. You look at the players we bring in from the English game, 
Duffy, out of favour at Brighton. Elianusi, out of favour at Southampton. Ayeti, out of favour at West Ham. That's the type of player we get. We don't get the up-and-coming players because yep. there's, there's a host of English clubs who can completely um, trounce us when it comes to wages that will get in there first. I mean, you know, going to day when you know, you're signing stubs and there was other clubs down south. That was, that was a revelation, that signing. Even when you get back to, I suppose, Anil, when you're getting like Lenny, Tomo, Sutton, you know, we were paying comparable wages at that time. Yep. Those days, you know, they'll never return at the moment. They'll never return. Well, Welsh were in the Scotland game. They'll never return. Yeah, Welsh were in the Scotland game. So maybe the development with us saying no to the Atlantic League and Desmond saying not status quo or British League, maybe they're closer because I would have thought it'd be just reading into it, you know, for us to say no to the Atlantic mm. League when they've got... I thought know, it was a more possible destination. Well, and they've got billions of pounds apparently worth of commitments to it if it goes ahead, mm-hmm. you know, which will be from sponsorship, TV companies, whatever. Does Desmond know that there's something happening with a British league? Does he think that's now more likely? The big thing that will decide that, Lawrence, is, is you look at the situation financially in English football, there's 25 clubs apparently staying down the, uh, the barrel of a gun that might not see out the season. 25 clubs. Now, when you're looking at that, that's a huge amount of clubs that the whole has everything's just going to disappear because in England, that's what happens. Now, in Scotland, you're going to have... Clubs that, you know, if there is going to have to be a stabilisation period where they need clubs that are still in business to to make up what they see as their top division, top two divisions, then it might be back on the table. People think you're barmy if you talk like that. But going back to the interview we did on this podcast a couple of months back, where it it gets to the point where what you now know is, is... the reality won't be the reality after COVID yep. when it comes to football. So the goalposts will be moved. Uh, and perhaps, you know, that development, uh, you know, I don't think you're looking too much into it because if there was a possibility of the Transatlantic League working and helping Celtic to manoeuvre their way out of Scottish football, we'd be all over it. Yeah. And so as I touched on politically, it's kind of, would be good for the UK government if that happened, wouldn't it? You know, if there was a British League, if they'd done away with it. They might use it as a political angle as well. Lawrence, you know that they would uh, take advantage of that, I'm pretty sure. Now, Philip DeMarco's made a great point. Afternoon, lads. Afternoon to you as well, Philip. The chat the last few episodes on and off the camera has been top-notch. I think that's because there's a wee delay and it's gone live, so we, we could be chewing the fat for a couple of minutes and we don't even know it. But hey, that just adds to it. It just adds to it. And from Facebook, why did Griffiths only play 22 minutes in two games for Scotland? Now, I'm going to say it, it's down to East Fitness. Well, it's two squads and it's the same thing. He's not, he's not getting there full time. So who's ahead of him in Scotland? Uh, London Dykes and Ole McBurnley? At the moment, yes. <laughs> yeah, but again, you know, that's Stevie Clark's decision. So, but that would appear to be the case. Dykes is scoring goals. I suppose if, if, if a striker's scoring goals, how do you keep him out of the team? Uh, Dykes has been a real find. He's been a real find. Now, what I find interesting, I'm not saying all really, I regret us not going for him and all this and that. There's certain players that you would never have thanked Celtic for buying, and he's one of them. But then you watch him playing for Scotland, you think, Stevie Clark's playing him exactly how he needs to play him, and he's getting a good tune out of him. He's playing a system that suits the players, doesn't he? Yeah. That, that suits him. But then again, Lee, Lee Griffiths can lead a line as a sole striker. I mean, he's a 40 goal in Scotland. Scotland is a sole striker. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it fitness? If, if it is, you know, for November. And... The player would have to take a big chunk of that responsibility if it's fitness. Sutton slagged him, you know, the state of him. I'm looking at a picture of him thinking, 
didn't look overweight to me, but you know, you know, what do I know? I'm not don't have a BMI reading or VO two max or know anything about you know, you know, you're just you see him on the park, it it doesn't look particularly unfit or overweight. There's other players in Scotland that you can tell carrying a few extra extra pounds, but I don't see that with Griff. Uh, is it fitness? Is, is, is it, obviously, that's kind of physical fitness. Is there another fitness issue to it? I don't know, mate. mate but uh, maybe Clark's just got dates of scoring goals. I want to give him a run. Uh, I know what I get with Griff. Uh, why? So, McBurn is in front of me. Is <laughs> anyone's guess? Do you think it would benefit uh, Lee Griffiths maybe by getting 60, 75 minutes tomorrow night for Scotland? I, at this stage, I'm thinking, how does this benefit Celtic? Uh, you know, maybe I'm completely off off track here, but I would have thought that that match fitness comes from playing matches. Well, if you could surely, play, if you could play ninety minutes, that would probably put to bed the, the fact that he can't play ninety minutes because he's not fit enough. You know, if he puts in a good shift for ninety minutes, does well, you'd be going, well, he's obviously fit enough to play ninety minutes. And I, and I suppose everybody's guessing, going, believe if he scores goals when he plays, but he doesn't play often enough and he, he's only coming off the bench what exactly is wrong and that's happening for Scotland and for Celtic well, Scotland we've touched on Dykes is playing well he, maybe Clark just thinks he suits his system better that's it but with Celtic you're, you're looking going jeez I always knew Dykes was a player he always always knew that he was just, a player it comes from good stock you used to think yeah, it comes from good stocks yeah. uh, David Bradley is commenting on YouTube spot on Paul Christie could get 70 grand a week down south now this does beg the question who was the last Celtic player who didn't fly the nest who didn't look for the bigger wage who didn't do that who was the last Celtic was it Paul McStay Jamesy Forrest hasn't Forrest. Carl Mark hasn't yet Yet. I don't well, think Forrest both, both of them are yet. Question mark over Callum McGregor. Both, both of those are yet, but they've given us some serious service, haven't they? Oh, no. You, you, you know, it's not like they've come in, they've had a couple of good seasons, right, I'm off. They, they, if either of those players was to, to leave now, I think they would be a different a different category because they're leaving quite a bit late in their career when they've given a lot of service. You look at the, sometimes a hark back, but sometimes there's learning and harking back, right? So you look back at the greatest side Celtic have ever had and some of those players, Lawrence, were very close to moving down to the English game before Jockstein came in. So Billy McNeil had a transfer lined up. Yep. He was going to go to London. You had Jimmy Johnston, who was, you know, attracting interest from Tottenham Hotspur. Um, so these players were genuinely considering leaving Celtic for the move down to England but, until Jockstein came in. Well, there was no success at that time. It was there, you know, 65 when he came in was a, the Scottish Cup one and they started to turn it around. Paddy Creran was obviously, he was related to Charlie Gallagher and Millennial, wasn't he? So, you know, a lot of the players were, were known from the Glasgow football scene to each other. So, it wouldn't have been an unusual for them. It's always been down. that allure of the English game. You know, it... it it's success, it's money. You know, Celtic have never particularly been known as, as great peers. I, I think when they tried to sell McGrory to, to Arsenal, when it, McGrory refused to go, they come back and cut McGrory's wage and he was the worst player paid member of the Celtic's first team because he wouldn't, he wouldn't move on. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of that just goes with the way the, the families used to manage Celtic in those days, wasn't it? You know, only 20,000 at... <laughs> the game today you couldn't Aye. move in Celtic Park I, and you're like 20,000 wait a minute where would you put the other 50 odd if they turned up I know I mean see when you're thinking though I had a very very interesting discussion about this yesterday 
um, simply because Neil Lennon brought up the question of culture. Uh, you know, I, I think we've both been involved in uh, businesses who have had to uh, implement con- cultural change uh, specialists to come in. And I think that's why when I heard that comment, it really, really surprised me because you know what that actually entails to change a culture. It's not as though you, you turn up one day and say, right, guys, we need to change the culture of the club and then it happens. But I was talking yesterday to um, a very experienced Scottish journalist who's been in the game 40 years. And I says to him, you know, that I think... Tierney did have the Paul McStay mindset. I actually do believe that he did have the Paul McStay mindset and he wanted to be at Celtic for 10 in a row and he wanted to be the most decorated Celtic player and play more games than anyone else. I honestly believe that until Brendan Rodgers came in and changed the mindset of Kieran Tierney. And I think he also changed the mindset of Callum McGregor and potentially of Ryan Christie. Well, well Rodgers talks about that, talking to players about you know, you've got to make the best for yourself. You've got to challenge yourself. So I think that's without doubt he's certainly put those ideas into their heads if they weren't already there. You know, that you should actually be gone. You should be doing better than this. You know, we got a lot of money for Kieran. Are we always going to sell? You know, just now that the financial disparity is such that you're looking at another Charlie Nicholas situation where he was going down and get five, six times his wages. That's what we're talking about again, isn't it? That's how big a disparity it is. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the players want to move on. There's a lot of pressure comes with playing with Celtic. You're expected to win every game because I think you know I was reading an Arsenal uh, fanzine or online article. They were talking about the players' reaction to Tierney and training, how he wanted to win all the time. And the Arsenal players were like, well, "Wait a minute, what's going on?" Because they, they didn't have that expectation level on them, mm. and it was. So that mindset that kind of Kieran brought down there has definitely benefited them. So maybe it's stepping out of the, the pressure. There's Stuart Armstrong, he's now doing well with Southampton. You know, he's on a lot more wages. He certainly won't be feeling the, the kind of pressure that he was, he was getting playing for Celtic. So it could be a combination of factors. Some people just... But, you know, money's got to play a huge part, hasn't it? If you're... You know, what Celtic's top way is going to be 25,000 just now. Can we offer that? on a new contract with the way COVID's sitting? I think it becomes a frustration for players who are on, let's even say the average wage at Celtic, uh, maybe not the, even the top earners, and then we bring someone in like Shane Duffy who is on big, big wages. Yep. Um, and then you're maybe looking at him and saying, what are you contributing compared to what I'm putting into this? Because you look at it, Christy, there's 70 goals and under 120 games he's been involved in, either as the creator or as the goal scorer. I mean, that's a phenomenal contribution to Celtic success. He's scored winning goals in League Cup finals. I mean, and the thing with, with Christie is, there's this instant reaction if someone refuses to sign a contract. All of a sudden, he's selfish. All of a sudden, he shouldn't be taking that shot. He shouldn't, and, and you think, well, actually, he should be taking the shot. The one thing I would change about Christie's game, I would take him off the corners and the free kicks. 100%. Yeah, there's a reaction of players don't sign a contract, but, but you know, it cuts both ways. Celtic don't offer everyone on their books new contracts. You know, there's unfortunately Daniel Church just set up with them partners, isn't it? Mm. 12, 13 years at a club. Yep. Never get a game. And he, he, he's off out. So I suppose players, to, to an extent, do need to look after after themselves, don't they? You know, mm. and if they feel they're being unfairly treated or whether they just look down south and just say, that's just mind-blowing mind money down there, or, or they think it's going to be a better test for them. 
or, or they get professionally. They get touched by the Brendan Rogers kind of mindset of look after yourself. You yeah. know, there's there's bigger things in the world out there because obviously we all know how mercenary someone like Rogers is. It's brand Brendan. It's not about Celtic. It's not about Leicester. Uh, look, look, you know, everybody knows if if someone else was to uh, give him a wee wink elsewhere and it was a bigger job than Leicester, he'd be gone. The suit would already be pressed, and it would be the club crest on it. It'd be away. Imagine it would say. He thinks he thinks goes exactly. He thinks his destination is Real Madrid. That that in Brendan Rodgers' mind, that's where he sees himself. So he Celtic were a stepping stone. Leicester are a stepping stone. Man United, you're absolutely right. He'll be looking at the odds for managers losing their jobs, and he'll be right in there. He'll he'll be wanting to run FIFA. (laughs) I don't think he would stop at Real Madrid. (laughs) You know, it's just. He just, but maybe that's what you know, which bred the, the success in him is having that kind of, you know, that's part of his makeup, isn't it? Everyone's different. Maybe that's kind of, you know, if that's what drives him and makes him so successful. Certainly, the first eighteen months under him, domestically, good, yeah, domestically, domestically, yep, absolutely. You know, the rest, you know, wasn't as good as the first eighteen months, but maybe it comes down to what striking. We say, you know, managers have got shelf life, and it's you know, with a big club, and it's kind of three years. Maybe there's some truth in that, you know. Teams get used to playing against you and what kind of tactics you like and perhaps you become stale. Mm, possibly. Now, it's never stale when you're around, Lawrence. And uh, thanks again for coming in on a Tuesday to join us on a Celtic State of Minds Bulletin. Thank you, everybody, for commenting on the social media channels, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. Please subscribe to YouTube. We're pushing it up with a target of 5,000 by the end of the year. We've got a few prizes, uh, which we'll talk tomorrow about. Uh, Simon Donnelly will be joining us on the Axon uh, Bulletin tomorrow at half past 12. So I look forward to catching up with Sid. Um, we'll be talking about what he's been up to during the lockdown as well. But all that's left for me to say is thank you once again, Lawrence Conley, for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Thanks, Paul. Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.